For the first time since 2015, the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros are both in the playoffs. For the Astros, this has become business as usual. They're the defending champs and have reached at least the American League Championship Series in each of the last six seasons. For the Rangers, this is the product of a rebuild. They'd lost 196 games in the prior two years, and they're in the playoffs for the first time since 2016. I'm Chris Blake, and on this special edition of Texas Wants to Know, we'll preview each team's playoff series. The clubs will begin the American League Division Series on Saturday. The Rangers play the Baltimore Orioles, and the Astros play the Minnesota Twins. To get us ready for a big week of baseball in Texas, I talked to John Lopez, co-host of In the Loop on Odyssey's Sports Radio 610 in Houston, and Jared Sandler, the pre- and post-game host on the Texas Rangers Radio Network. The Rangers and the Orioles play first on Saturday, so let's start there. Texas led the division for much of the regular season before stumbling in August and September. The club went to Seattle on the final weekend of the regular season, needing to win two of four games to wrap up the American League West, but couldn't do it, so they were forced to settle for a wildcard spot. The Rangers swept the Tampa Bay Rays in the best of three wildcard series to earn the right to play the Orioles. Baltimore had the best record in the AL this season and won the American League East. I caught up with Jared Sandler from Baltimore to learn how the Rangers got here and to preview the series. This is a Rangers team that lost 94 games a year ago, 102 the year before that. This year, they won 90 games. How'd they turn it around? Well, it's a big turnaround in one year, but it's definitely not one year's worth of work. And, you know, in baseball, maybe more so than any other sport, it really behooves teams that aren't going to compete for World Series to be bad. And that's one of the challenges of the sport. It I wish it wasn't that way, but this is a matchup of two teams who took advantage of the rules as they are, and the Rangers were not very good for a few years. The Orioles were actually worse for a longer period of time, uh, but for the Rangers, uh, they went about it by you know, bringing up and, and developing some prospects on the position player side, but really, uh, the Rangers made some really shrewd moves and some big moves in free agency and in the trade market over the last few years that have helped them get to this position. Uh, and it's not just stuff they did this past off season, although this past off season, they spent a lot of money and a lot of resources towards improving their starting rotation. Uh, and last off season, the off season prior to that, they spent a lot of resources improving their lineup. The Rangers have really gone outside of the organization to improve uh and it's worked and you know they still have an influx of talent coming up through the system uh but the talent that they currently have on the roster is obviously good enough to compete at a high level those off-season moves led to a very successful start to the season the rangers essentially led the division from opening day until august but then they faltered a little bit the astros and mariners got hot so what happened over the last two months of the year well, I think for the Rangers, they really rode the roller coaster the last couple of months. And some of it is health related. You know, their their lineup uh, was, I don't want to say depleted, but really ravaged by injuries at one point. You know, the Rangers lost five different All-Stars to the injured list after the All-Star break. So five different All-Stars this year, not guys who 
had been all-stars, but maybe weren't having all-star seasons. And not one of those five is Max Scherzer. So that's a sixth guy who wasn't an all-star this year, but was the big acquisition for the Rangers prior to the trade deadline. Uh, And so I think injuries took a toll. And I just think the natural flow of a season, you know, you're not going to be hot from, you know, one through 162. And for the Rangers, I think it just kind of all converged at the same time. You know, they had a tough schedule. Uh, They kind of got behind the eight ball. And sometimes when you do uh, and maybe you're not healthy, it's tough to get back out in front. Uh, From a gameplay standpoint, the Rangers lineup, which has been one of the best lineups in baseball all year, kind of took a step and a half back, and the bullpen struggles really came to the fore. The Rangers uh, don't have your typical dominant bullpen that a 90-win team might have, but their lineup was so good and their starting rotation had been so good that they were able to weather those storms. But during about a six-week stretch, they were forced to play a lot of close games. And the easiest way to win close games is by having a really good bullpen. And they had a tough time winning those close games because they weren't scoring a ton and they weren't able to protect leads or preserve uh, deficits to make it more tenable to come back because they're having challenges in their bullpen. So uh, those were some of the, the road bumps the Rangers experienced. But, you know, a big hallmark of not just this team, but I think any good team is, uh, the demonstration of resiliency and, and the ability to bounce back. And, uh, you know, it wasn't ideal timing necessarily, but the Rangers were able to do that going from a team that looked like a lock to win the division to a team that with a couple weeks left in the season might not even make the playoffs. They then got back into the driver's seat of the division and let that slip away on the last day of the regular season, but still put themselves in a position to be in the playoffs. And now here they are winning their first postseason series in uh, over a decade. And to win that postseason series, they swept the Rays two games to nothing in Tampa, outscoring them 11-1 to in the process. You mentioned letting the division slip away the final weekend in Seattle. After those four games, were you surprised at all by the way the Rangers played in the two games in Tampa Bay? I guess it depends on your outlook, right? I Yes and no. Like If you would have told me that the Rangers would have gone to Tampa Bay and a 99-win team, and there's no shame in losing to a 99-win team. The Rangers have never won 99 games in a regular season in their franchise's history. If they would have lost to that team, then it could have just been that they lost to a really good team. I don't know that it necessarily had to be that they lost to, you know, a team because they were, you know, just in a bad place. Uh, But I wouldn't have been surprised. But again, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier. I think one of the you know, the the hallmarks of this team is just their ability to bounce back and, and the resiliency. And so I think what helped was they had a six-hour flight from Seattle to Tampa after letting the division slip away. And they had some time on that flight to think about what had happened to process it. And then they had the next day to reset and get their mind right for Tampa. And, you know, I think it always helps when you've got a really good starting pitcher setting the tone. And Jordan Montgomery did just that for the Rangers going seven shutout innings. And I think that made a big difference. I think that kind of helped settle them down. I wonder, Chris, you know, what happens if uh, in the first inning of that series, Tampa Bay puts up a three spot. So now the Rangers are going from, you know, letting the division slip away to the very next action uh, in a game they're a part of is falling behind 3 nothing. Does that totally change things? I mean, it's very possible that it does. So 
I think Jordan Montgomery deserves a lot of credit for allowing this team a little bit of a runway to ease into things and get back on the right track. Now, looking ahead to the Baltimore series, the Rangers fans know Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Evan Carter showed up in a big way, the rookie against Tampa Bay in those two games. Is there anybody, I don't want to say under the radar, but who's not a household name that you think is key to the series against Baltimore? The Rangers right now are searching for someone to fill the role of the third spot in the lineup. And typically you're not looking for someone under the radar to, to be that guy. And it's it's definitely unique that the Rangers have such a productive lineup, but they don't necessarily have a guy who is a lock in the three hole. And so that could be a Mitch Garver type. Uh, it, you know, it could go back to Nathaniel Lowe. Maybe they move Adolis Garcia. Uh, so I, I'll tell you, instead of maybe giving you one name, I'll I'll tell you an under-the-radar challenge for a team that uh, scores as much as the Rangers uh, will score is that their lack of a, uh, you know, a consistent number three hitter or even, you know, a guy they like against lefties and a guy they like against righties. They're trying to figure all that out. out uh, and hopefully someone's going to be able to step up and, and fulfill that role. So um, I know that's not directly answering your question, but that to me is the most pressing part of where things stand with their lineup. You know, if you wanted one name, uh, I would, I guess I'd go back to one of the first names I mentioned, I, Mitch Garver. Uh, you know, he didn't start in the first two games of the series against Tampa Bay. I'm not sure what the playing time distribution is going to be, but this is a guy who's won a silver slugger. He's got that type of ability in his bat and someone who can really help make a big difference in terms of the depth of this lineup. And then secondarily, I would go with Leody Tavares, someone else who can really make a difference in the bottom of the order. And one of the guys in this lineup who can add some athleticism because this is not, uh, you know, unlike a lot of Rangers lineups in the past, this is not a lineup you would suggest as a very athletic lineup. This is a, a lineup that uh, isn't necessarily going to steal a lot of runs by uh, going first to home uh, or second to home or first to third because of speed. They're going to have to do it because of quality base running and, again, getting hits and getting guys on base. Moving over to the other side, this is an Orioles team that has been bad for a very, very long time, but comes away American League East champions this year. Got a couple of young players that I think a lot of baseball fans have heard of by now in Adley Rushman and Gunnar Henderson. But tell us a little more about this Orioles team, about its character, about the turnaround this franchise has had. Well, it's really impressive. And and a lot of their front office a lot of their their front office executives on the baseball operations side come from the Astros, and they uh, undertook a similar type of turnaround as the Astros did. You know, they really were bad for a long time. Uh, you know, the Rangers had one 100-loss season. The Orioles had multiple. They stockpiled uh, high draft picks, and to their credit, it seems like they've hit on those guys. It seems like they've done a great job of uh, making the right selections, developing those guys. And some of those guys now are contributing at the big league level, like Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson and Heston Kierstad. So while both these teams have gone from 100 lost seasons to uh, you know winning 90-plus games and making the playoffs, in the Orioles' case, winning 100 games, they've done it different ways. Uh, the Orioles have done it really by growing internally, uh, whereas, as we mentioned earlier, the Rangers – have spent a lot of money and made trades to put themselves in the position that they're in. So uh, similar storylines, but definitely a different way of going about things. 
Uh, but this is a young and an exciting Orioles team. I mean, if they weren't playing the Rangers uh, for a Rangers fan, this might be a fun team to support if you didn't have a dog in the fight uh, because they're young and exuberant, play with a lot of energy. And, uh, you know, I, I think typically a sports fan gravitates to the team that hasn't been winning and the Orioles haven't been winning. Unfortunately, uh, that likable team is the enemy uh, for the Rangers and Rangers fans over the next, you know, handful of days, next week or so. Uh, but this is an Orioles team that, uh, could very well be a problem, not just this year, but for years to come. And the hope and expectation is that you can say the same or will be saying the same about the Rangers. And if that's the case, then this might be the very beginning of, um, you know, a, a rivalry. Uh, you know, these two teams fighting for the same thing over the next several years. So uh, that should be fun. Uh, this could be the very beginning of that. It's not the first time that they've ever met in the postseason. Uh, they did play in the wild card game back in 2012. The Orioles won. Joe Saunders outdueled Hugh Darvish uh, in Arlington. Uh, but this is the first time they've ever met in a full series, uh, best of five series or best of seven series. And uh, I got a feeling that over the next few years, this is not going to be the last time that they meet in such an environment. Let's get ahead of ourselves just a little bit here, just for fun from a fan standpoint. If the Rangers and the Astros can both advance past the division series, how spicy would an ALCS between the Rangers and the Astros be? I don't know. I That might be like too hot to handle. You know, you go to a restaurant where you can choose your spice level. I don't know that that's like one of the options. Uh, and I think it would be great for baseball. I don't know that it would be great for people's blood pressure on, on either side. But at the end of the day, let's make something very clear here. This is a game and, uh, you know, the passion and the energy – that is directed towards a team or a rivalry is is incredibly healthy as long as it doesn't cross any lines. And, you know, you should be able to coexist with an Astros fan or an Astros fan should be able to coexist with a Rangers fan. Uh, you know, there shouldn't be like genuine, you know, malice towards those people. Uh, you know, Rangers fans will say that Astros fans stink, but Astros fans will say the same and uh, about, you know, Rangers fans. But Rivalries are great for sports. And I, uh, you know, a part of me would love to see the Astros eliminated before the Astros would have the Rangers number. Uh, but a part of me would love to see that matchup uh, because I think it would be great for baseball in the state of Texas. I think it will be great for Major League Baseball. Uh, rivalries in sports are a good thing. Uh, that, that is when you see the, the highest degree of passion from fan bases. Uh, and I can tell you, it's not often that, on the professional side of things, teams don't like other teams because so many of these guys have played together along the way. And, you know, there's so much uh, in terms of roster movement. Usually it's more in college, right? You go to a college, you got a rival and you really don't know a lot of these guys. So you just don't like them. You know, that's, you know, you're, you're still young as well and, and maybe not as mature to process those feelings. But I can tell you that there is a lot of animosity between the Astros and a lot of teams around Major League Baseball, and the Rangers are definitely one of them. So uh, it would be great to see that happen. I don't know if the state of Texas can handle it. Uh, we always talk about how big the state of Texas is. I don't know if the state of Texas is big enough for a series like that. Uh, it will be interesting to see from an emotional standpoint, but I think it would be a lot of fun to see as well. Well, both teams have to take care of the business at hand first, and that starts with the Rangers and the Orioles. Jared, thanks for the time. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Chris. As for the Astros, as I mentioned, Houston's been here. The Rangers' losses in Seattle during that final weekend of the regular season 
gave the Astros the division title, so they did not have to play in the wildcard round. It was the sixth division title in seven years for Houston. The Astros play a Minnesota team that won the American League Central with a record of 87-75 and 75 and got by Toronto in the wildcard round. Here's my conversation with John Lopez of Sports Radio 610 in Houston. The Astros won the World Series a year ago and entered this year as clear favorites to win the American League West. And the division rate was tighter than many expected, but they still won for the sixth time in seven years. So how did they do it this time around? You know, that's the million-dollar question because I've been saying for a long time, I'm not so sure that their pedigree is going to overcome their shortcoming. Now, they have pedigree. I mean, this is now six straight, could be seven straight, uh, League Championship Series, obviously two World Series. They've been in two other World Series. I mean, they have been there. They have done that. They they understand how to win, and and that goes a long way. I've been saying for a few weeks, because they have shortcomings in starting pitching and shortcomings in the bullpen, and they've gone on long stretches of, of losing, losing games that you just don't expect them to lose, like against the Royals and the A's, who are, you know, the worst teams in the game. I'm like, I don't know if they can do it, but I guess they can because the, what happened on the final weekend of the season was uh, was was nothing short of uh, un, uh, of spectacular and certainly unexpected because I thought the Rangers were going to win it early and then I thought the Mariners were going to win it. I never thought the Astros would win the division, but lo and behold, maybe that pedigree matters. You mentioned some of the shortcomings, especially in starting pitching, which has been hit hard by injuries this year. No Lance McCullers, no Luis Garcia, Justin Verlander missed some time. Adding on to that, Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez also missed time this year, but it seems like things kind of took off as they got those stars, those bats back in the lineup. They did, and I think uh, the, the most important one, a lot of people might say Jordan Alvarez who was player of the month, the final month of the season, and I'm not going to argue that too much, but I really think the most important one is Jose Altuve. And I know, you know, in some circles, his name is Mud. Uh, you know, you can take whatever side you want, and, and I get it. But he, you talk about pedigree, as I just mentioned a little while ago. Not just that with him. It's also, he's, he's a guy that is, 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 is truly the, 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 I hate using cliches, but the straw that stirs the drink, you know, as people like saying. Uh, I mean, it's just, you can't gauge what he brings this team. I think they all rally about him, uh, around him. I think every player that wasn't on the 2017 team or not even maybe on the 2021 team and came up through the ranks knew Altuve, knew how he did it, uh, et cetera. I think Altuve was the key to the whole thing. Well, and not even that. He was also one of the only guys, maybe the only guy, there pre-success when they were losing 100 games a year. Yeah. I mean, Bregman came uh, in 2017. The only other one was Springer. Well, he's in Toronto now. And then Correa, who we all know is uh, going to be on the other in the other dugout in this upcoming divisional series. So yeah, you're right. He's the one that was there. He went through three 100 loss plus seasons, and that is unfathomable uh, these days. Uh, but but he did it, and then he he showed what he's all about. You just mentioned Carlos Correa leading his team in the Minute Maid Park as a visitor this weekend. How has he been received since he left Houston, and what do you expect the reception to be now that it's the postseason? He's probably the most beloved handle player I've ever been around, not named J.J. Watt. Like, uh, you know, be, be, simply because 
when all the stuff happened in 2017, and I'm not an apologist, just for the record, they did it, they cheated, they deserve that punishment, they probably deserve more, if we're being honest. But that said, Carlos Correa fought for his teammates publicly. Uh, his, 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 his interviews were, were famously played all around uh, the country. Um, he kind of re-rallied this team uh, after they, they won the World Series and then in 2019 when all that stuff came to light. He was, he's beloved in this city, absolutely beloved. That being said, I said this on my show today, be careful what you wish for with uh, the Twins. Because I think most Astros fans preferred to face the Twins. But Carlos Correa is a postseason juggernaut. I mean, he's a superstar in the postseason. I think he's got more postseason RBIs than than any active player. Um, and I, I actually, you know, I think this is going to be a real battle for the Astros. I don't think this is going to be, oh, we'll get to the, another ALCS uh, by just snapping our fingers. Looking at last year's postseason, Christian Javier was one of the guys that stood out. Is there a guy that maybe we haven't talked about yet that you think could have a big impact on the division series? Well, that's, that's another problem. That's another reason I think this is going to be uh, a really tough series. The guy that has been outstanding, I mean, maybe the, you know, maybe one of the top three players on the team when you consider at-bats and everything else has been the Yonder Diaz. The, now, Yonder Diaz, is is really a, a polarizing figure here uh, because Dusty Baker is tied at the hip to Martin Maldonado, who's the starting catcher. Yonder Diaz is better. He, he's, he's, he's a better hitting catcher. He's a better defensive catcher. But Dusty Baker, the Astros manager, as you know, uh, just loves the way Martin Maldonado calls games. The key to the whole thing, I believe, is getting Yonder Diaz on the field. And frankly, I don't know how they're going to do it because their outfield is going to be set now that Jordan is healthy. First base is going to be uh, set uh, as well. And then if you're thinking about, well, maybe he can play, you know, DH or all these other things. Well, then you got Michael Brantley, who's who's proved his, you know, his worth uh, over and over again. So I, I honestly don't know how they're going to get Yonder Diaz on the field. And I think he's one of their top five players. Good problem to have, but I definitely see your point where you're coming from and finding a spot for him in the lineup. And you said earlier you hate to use cliches. I do too, but I'm going to do it right now anyways. <laughs> Tell me what needs to happen for the Astros to win the series and what do the Twins do well if Minnesota ends up winning the series? Well, Minnesota's easy to me. Uh, I think, uh, and this has not been the case with the Astros in the last few years, I think Minnesota has a distinct pitching advantage, not just starting pitching, but in the bullpen. Uh, I think they're they're absolutely... Uh, a, a better pitching staff top to bottom than the Astros. Now, for the Astros, I mentioned pedigree early, earlier. The Twins in the postseason, keep in mind, they just broke a long streak of not winning, I think since 2002, if I'm remembering that correctly. And the Astros, in clutch moments, even though the Twins have an edge in pitching, what does that tell you? That tells you there's going to be a lot of close games at the end. And last question, let's get ahead of ourselves a little bit. Say the Astros and the Rangers can both get through the division series. How intense of a series would we be talking about in the ALCS? Well, my question is, how much are the Rangers going to celebrate if they win the a, uh, the ALDN? <laughs> uh, I think I think that's uh, uh, boy, that got some traction down here. That's for dang sure, and I'm sure it did up there. And absolutely, um, 
I, I'm not trying to be a homer because I think uh, you, you can probably tell I'm, I'm very honest about this team. I don't think the Raiders can beat the Astros. Uh, I, I just think that's one of those teams that you just have a, their number. Um, I, I get it. You know, they've won some games this year. But over the course of the last decade plus, I don't think in a series that the Rangers can beat the Astros. And the problem with the, that the Rangers have, they've been scoring runs like madmen, at least early in the year. Um, and their pitching has some severe question marks. And at the back end of the bullpen for the Rangers, the Astros have feasted on those guys. I mean, so if you talk about high-scoring game that's a close, low-scoring game that's close, I, I think the, the Astros have the advantage there. All right, John, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks to John and Jared for talking playoff baseball with me. Texas and Houston both start their series on Saturday. The Rangers play the Orioles at noon, and the Astros play the Twins at 3.30. All Rangers games can be heard in North Texas on Odyssey 105.3 The Fan.